Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hi, everybody, and welcome once again to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco. Good to be here today for episode 323, dated Friday, September 1st. Believe it or not, folks, we're in September already. Can you believe it? 2023. With us as always, Peter Alchel. Peter, welcome. Good afternoon from glorious Columbia, Missouri. Um, it won't be glorious for much longer. It's going to get back in the 90s, much to my annoyance, but we are celebrating the University of Missouri's football teams, one of the few wins we're going to get all year. So we're, we're happy about that. All right. Before we continue, let me acknowledge some people. Raymond Gay, our editor and producer, thank you for helping to make our show a quality podcast. Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place Chatline, thank you very much for posting our programs on Greeting Door 15. We appreciate it. Our media sources, thank you for airing us when you do. And Jacqueline Sylvia from JS Web Solutions, thank you for archiving our podcasts on my website, which is www.brancoevents.com. Go there. Click on In Perspective Podcasts and you will see all of our archives from latest to earliest. Merci, Jackie. I also want to thank Mike for being our host for today, as well as Brad for mainstreaming ACB Media 5. We appreciate your help. I also want to say hi to three dedicated listeners, Daryl Darnell of Urbana, Illinois, Susan Jones of Indianapolis, Indiana, and one of our former guests, Beth Roth. Thank you very much for listening. We appreciate it. We have with us today the Interim Executive Director of the American Council of the Blind, Dan Spoon. He's taken the time out of his busy schedule to join us on In Perspective. Before we continue, let me welcome you, Dan. It's a real honor and a pleasure. Thank you, Bob. Excited to be here on a Labor Day weekend. You are running a very good advocacy organization. I'll go on record and tell everybody that on my behalf. So, so, so Dan, before we get started, I know you live in Orlando or the Orlando, Florida area. Tell mm-hmm. us how you survived uh hurricane, whatever the name was. I'm drawing a blank. How, how are you all doing down there? Idalia. Idalia. Thank you. Idalia. Yes. <laughs> it was, and we were kind of got a little thing going here in Florida that we do not like hurricanes that start with an I. They seem to be not, we don't do well with them, whether it be Ivan or uh, uh, Ian or Irma, where you're kind of really struggling there. So, um, but this, um, you know, for those that were affected, it's it's always uh, sad and tragic to see, you know, the destruction that a hurricane can cause, especially a major Category 3 slash 4 hurricane. But really here in Central Florida, we, we fared quite well, in fact, better than we had expected. Uh, it stayed a little out into the Gulf. And so we've got a few tropical storm winds, maybe a couple of to three inches of rain. But at the end of the day, we didn't have much impact here in the central Florida Orlando area. Uh, the real impact happened in the in the Big Bend area, which is really a very rural area of Florida with with you know fish camps and and uh, campgrounds and those type of things. But they they did uh, have some 
have some really significant damage there in the Perry, um, you know. Uh, Tallahassee's yeah. there too. Yeah, Tallahassee luckily was a little on the west side of Hurricanes, which is always the best side to be on as opposed to the northeast corner. So, yeah, they, they, they got some damage, but not too bad. Yeah. Cedar Key also got a little bit of a, a, an impact. Yeah. So overall, we're in pretty good shape. Yesterday, we actually got torrential downpours, and it wasn't even due to the hurricane. It was just normal summer <laughs> weather <laughs> that, yeah, that kind of hit us worse than the, the hurricane did. Yeah. Yeah. Typical Florida summer weather. I've been down yeah. there a few times. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it's crazy stuff, or can be anyway. Yeah. So, Dan, um, mm-hmm. tell us a little about sort of who you are and what prompted you to get started in the organized blind movement. How did that all happen? Well, it, um, you know, really, oh gosh, I, I'll, I'll try to keep it uh, really <laughs> short. Uh, but I, I really got involved in a very backdoor way. Um, I was a, you know, uh, high, low vision person losing my eyesight with retinitis pigmentosis. At that point in time, I was working uh, for Westinghouse Electric in the Orlando area. And um, someone heard about me and my my blindness and asked me to be a business representative on our Florida uh, Rehabilitative Services Advisory Council. So I was put uh, asked uh, by at um, at that point in time the, the the current governor, and this was back in the '90s to be uh, added to the advisory council, and there. I met the president of the then uh, then president of the Florida Council of Blind, Terry Blessings, uh, Teresa Blessings, and she asked me if I could help out with their membership database uh, because their membership secretary for Florida Council of Blind had just passed away, and I told her I would be happy to help. Just let me know how I could help. And then they had their state convention, and she called me the next day and told me that I had been elected an officer of the Florida Council of the Blind, and I was now their membership secretary. Congratulations. Yes. So I actually got – I was an officer of the Florida Council of the Blind before I ever attended a meeting. (laughs) And, uh, you know, from that point, I got involved and helped with membership and then did uh, different positions inside the Florida Council of the Blind, got very involved in our local chapter which was the Mid-Florida Council of the Blind, which is now the Greater Orlando Council of the Blind, and really w- was really, really worked at the at the local and state level until the actual American Council of the Blind convention came to Orlando in 2009. And Leslie, I, I always say ACB came to us. We didn't go to ACB. And so we went out for the, for the convention because it was in our local community and met so many wonderful people and participated and, and just, you know, we did the thing that everybody does the first time they went to a convention with uh, ACB at that point in time. We bought tickets to almost every event. We ended up with a whole lot of them that we just couldn't get, get to you know, because of all the stuff that was going on. And as part of that, we met uh, Dan and Brenda Dillon, who were very involved in the auctions. And Brenda was the second vice president of ACB. And they invited us to get involved in the ACB resource development committee and the auction committees. And we kind of got involved and kind of made a commitment to help and started going, you know, to the 
legislative seminars. That year, time they were called the, the mid-year meetings in Washington, D.C., uh, as well as the annual conventions. In 2012, I got elected to the ACV Board of Directors. Uh, Brenda Dillon and Cindy, uh, Cindy at that point, Van Winkle, now Cindy Hollis, and a few others encouraged me to run. Before I knew it, I was on the board and then, you know, moved on to become uh, first vice president in 2017 and then president from uh, 2019 to 2023. And then when Eric took his position, uh, moving on with the AFB, American Foundation for the Blind. Eric Bridges. Uh, Eric Bridges. Yeah. I uh, moved over and became our interim executive director. So, you know, it was just a few months before the convention. And the plans are, you know, kind of for me to stay in this position till the spring, summer of next year, where we can uh, now do a, a national search and find a true uh, executive director for the future of ACB. So, I want to thank you. I want to thank ACB publicly through you, Dan, mm -hmm. through you in regards to the community that helped to participate here on our podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. Cindy and the people that she's involved with have done a remarkable job uh, drawing listeners to our show, and we really, really appreciate the assistance that we're getting, the promotion that we're getting as a result of that group. And Bob, it, it's been just a, a remarkable accomplishment of the American Council of Blind and our members and friends and volunteers over the last three plus years to see how the community event platform has grown and the amount of support that we get. It's, it's just, it warms my heart every day. It's blind people helping blind people do better. You know, you just can't get any better than that. And I think it's given us an instant way for people to get involved in our organization and make a difference. And isn't it just worth so much if you can have a purpose in your life? And I think for so many of our members and friends, it really has given them something to look forward to each and every day. It's it's it just brings a smile to my face. I know you can't see it, but I'm smiling right now. I just, uh, it, I was, it was a dream. Uh, you know, Cindy and Eric and I got together and talked about it. We said, well, maybe if we could just do one call a day during the pandemic, it would give everybody something to look forward to. And I think we were so shocked when we did, when Cindy did that first coffee social the second week and like 75 people showed up on the call and we went, holy cow, you know. We've got to do more of this. And boy, has everybody just just jumped in and really made uh, ACB community uh, a, a, a true shining star for our organization. So, Dan, I just your, your story about how you got elected uh, in absentia reminds yes. you what happened to me uh, back around <laughs> the same time as you, actually. Uh, yeah. I was elected to join the Friends and Art Board while I was um, enmeshed in a... Uh, demonstration of an air hockey thing available for blind people. It was the coolest thing I've ever, you know, one of the great things they did at a convention. And then mm -hmm. about two hours later, I came back was, I was told I'd been, uh, had been uh, elected to the board of directors for friends and art. So, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get kind of recruited, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it truly, you know, I, I, you know, had uh, planned in my career uh, to retire uh, a few years after I got on the board. So I got on the board in 2012 and retired in in 2014. At least I thought it was retired until recently. Uh, and so it, um, you know, it does, it gives you a, 
it gives you a true purpose uh, for Leslie and I. It's something we can do together. And, uh, you know, it, just the ACB family, the people you meet, the staff, the members, uh, the partners that we get involved with, it, it truly is, it's, it's, it's a passion. It's, it, we are truly making a difference. So, Dan, talk about your, your term as president and uh, mm-hmm. at board director. You talked about Cindy and, and the marker work that she did as a major accomplishment. Talk about a few more of what's been going on over the past few years. And what do you envision uh, the future of ACB looks like over the past five, over the past five years, over the next five years? Well, I, it's a very good, that's a very good question, Peter. Um, I, I would say first, um, you know, kind of looking back on my, tenure, the four years I was ACB president, uh, I think things that we're the most proud of is, um, you know, Leslie calls me the virtual president <laughs> because <laughs> he got elected in Rochester in 2019. We had the, um, you know, the DC leadership conference in 2020. And then all of a sudden, a few weeks later, the pandemic hit. And I think it just showed you know, really, you know, our kind of our core values in ACB of integrity, of honesty, respect, collaboration, flexibility, and initiative. And I really want to concentrate on those last two of flexibility and initiative, as well as as collaboration, is we really all came together as an organization. Here we were, a pandemic in March of 2020, contract with the Renaissance uh, Marriott in Schaumburg, Illinois. No way people are going to travel to a convention in three and a half months. What are we going to do? We were just getting an exposure through our community event calls to the Zoom platform. And again, the community platform made a difference here. And so we really, you know, pulled together as a board, had an emergency special meeting and decided we were going to move forward and give it a try to do a virtual convention because we knew we couldn't do one in person. And the way we all came together, I'll never forget that first convention uh, in July of 2020, we ended up, you know, it was a full convention with eight days. We had you know, broadcast on, I believe it was four channels of ACB uh, media network. We had audio described tours. We had a virtual exhibit hall. We had a banquet. We had general sessions. It was really amazing to see everybody come together and pull it off. We had over 2,000 people that registered and participated it really showed what we were able to do when our staff and our members and everybody came together. And I think it really, I just, it was so much pride and ownership in our organization. And then out of that, uh, you know, we, we have, we, of course, at that point in time, we couldn't vote. We, we worked through the DC code found where we needed to be more inclusive as a membership organization and let everybody have an equal opportunity to participate, not just those that were at the convention in person, but everybody that deserved a democratic right to participate in our in our membership. And by the next convention, we had approved that everybody would have a vote. All members would have a vote. And we went to uh, remote voting with Vote Now, 
that we've done now for you know the last three years in 21, 22, and 23. And I'm really proud of that, that we now have opened up uh, our, our elections, uh, our resolutions to, to everybody to have a voice. It's been hard sometimes. You know, democracy is not easy. Sometimes it can be messy. But by God, it's great that everybody gets an equal chance to have a voice. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to continue to work on how do we how do we handle the virtual, the hybrid, the in-person. You know, it's a challenge to get it all in. Everybody wants the convention to be shorter, but everybody wants to be able to keep doing the parts of the convention that they love. So that's a membership challenge and we'll have to work through that. So I was very proud of where where we kind of uh, drew and took our membership over those four years. And then I've been. Very pleased with how we've been able to grow our staff. Um, you know, there were many areas of our of our team where we really did not have any professional expertise, whether it be in the area of communications, uh, resource development. We had good people, but only part time people. We didn't have anybody to really support our ACB. Um, media network. Uh, We didn't have a resource there. We, you know, our CFO had to manage our thrift stores. We had to really do some work to, to increase our staff. And we've done that. And I think we brought in a really great group uh, and team that really works well together. So I think that's been a a, a huge accomplishment. Um, So Peter, you asked, what do we do over the next five years? Um, what really worries me, I, I had the opportunity to attend the Illinois Council of the Blind. They were a great group of people. Uh, but in the in the room over those couple of days, I said, you know, I, I just want to get a feel of what our organization looks like here in Illinois. So if you're 50 or younger, please clap your hands. And we had like maybe two people that clapped. If you're 50 to 65, please clap your hands. And we had a few more. If you're over 65, please clap your hands. And we had a bang. And, and I said, are we worried? Where are, where are we going to be in 15 years? And that really worries me from a standpoint of a membership organization, the the heartblood of ACB, what makes us work, what makes us go, what makes us grow is our members. And, and yours is yours is only one example. There are a lot of organizations right now yeah. who have similar concerns about the younger generation joining. The Lions Club is a potential example. Mm-hmm. There are others that I've heard of where the younger people are not getting involved like they used to. Mm-hmm. And who knows why there has been speculation, but I won't go beyond that statement. Mm-hmm. But yours is not the only example. I think there are other organizations who feel the same crunch. A, a lot of service organizations. And and I do think, now it's interesting. I think people want to be involved, but I'm not sure if that involvement in all cases leads to an official dues-paying membership right to to an organization and so i i really think this is our challenge for the for one of our major challenges for the first half of the 21st century is how do we 
broaden our outreach and are there ways to get people involved? Does everybody need to be a member? Is membership measured differently? I don't know what the answer is. I truly don't. But we have to solve it because what will allow us to continue to grow and thrive as an organization is uh, an ever-increasing and evolving membership. We've, we, we've got to have new blood into the organization. And they don't all have to be 20 and 30-year-olds. Those are great. But we we need we need people at whatever age and stage of life that they are, but we need them to be involved and part of us. So, Dan, mm-hmm. I, this as, as Bob said, this is a major challenge for lots of service organizations. Yeah. What are your thoughts about how we might start the process of getting more younger folks involved? What, what, are, your, what are you thinking about doing to make that, to begin that, to start that process? Well, I think you have to provide value for, for folks wherever they're at, whether they're younger or older. I mean, obviously the, the fastest growing population of people that are blind or, or low vision are, are not young people, but, you know, folks in their, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, suffering from age-related macular degeneration or diabetic retinopathy or many glaucoma, many of those kind of eye diseases that affect you later on in life. Um, So, um, you know, I think we've got to add value to folks wherever they're at. And I'm not sure... um, I I don't know that I have the answer, Peter, uh, but it's it's something we really have to have a good, honest conversation about. I know Deb Cook-Lewis, our president, and Cindy Hollis, our membership uh, manager, are getting together here over the next few weeks to do a series of community calls. They've already met with the ACB presidents to ask each member that wants to participate what do you what adds value for you inside of ACB? So are we putting our resources where they're going to add the most value? What is it that people are looking for inside of the American Council of the Blind? I, I know myself what got me involved initially, besides the ask from Teresa Blessings, but what kept Leslie and I involved was we discovered uh individuals that were going through the same life experiences that we were going through. And Mm -hmm. there was so much value to have those folks that you could run things off of that could laugh when you were telling the story about, Oh, it's easy. It's right over there. You can find it. Right. And uh, and, and every time, Oh God, yes. You know, or people opening the door and now you're trying to figure out how to get through the doorway without hitting the side of the door or the person that's holding the door. And, you know, all these different things that you're going through in life and uh, the challenges of your transportation to get to work or whatever it all might be. And there was so much value for us in in meeting others that were going through the same things that we were going through. Do we do we foster those conversations enough? I I don't know. I with community, what I've learned is, my God, there's a lot of varied interest out there. Whether you like Instapots or you like to do crafts or you like cooking shows or you like sports shows or whatever it is, there are. So many different things out there that can bring people in that are that that they're writers groups, writers groups for sure, Bob. I mean, support groups. We've got uh, you know uh, uh, 
an AA group that meets uh, on a regular basis. We've got a grief counseling group. I uh, attended with uh, Deanna Noriega when I was going through situations with my mom at the end of her life with a care support group. It was invaluable to have people you could talk to as a blind person that were kind of going through the same circumstances you were here. Here I was caring for my mom and I would walk into the assisted living facility and they automatically assumed I was a resident there, not somebody to provide coming in to provide care and support. <laughs> yeah, you, you, know? you, would, you would think after a while that staff would recognize you, but obviously they, they did. They did. But, you know, you have to go through. Right? That's not their initial, exactly. you know, yeah. but you have to educate them and advocate and then they, you know, accept you in that role. But. You know, that's that's kind of the natural perce per perception of folks, right? Oh, my God, this poor guy, he really needs help. He's blind and he's here in assisted living. Yeah. So, so, Dan, uh, a, a quick comment before I, I want to mm -hmm. turn a corner quickly before we throw yeah. up for questions. First of all, con condolences on your Florida Gators yesterday. They did not seem to play very well uh, last night, but uh, maybe they'll get better. I was I was actually congratulations for your Missouri Tigers there, I, you know. On, you know, an opponent on the road, hurricane coming. They had to leave town early, a day early, spend the night in Texas, and then fly on to Utah with a new coach and a completely new offensive line. I actually thought they held themselves very well, except a few, you know, five, you know, kind of significant mistakes that when you're yeah, fairly yeah. evenly matched can make all the difference. Yeah. And with all respect to Missouri, Missouri played a, you know, a, a, a lousy team. So you really can't, you can't. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah you, you, you got that, that. You got that we, uh, we won, automatic win to open yeah, the season. That's yeah, right. Yes, it, yes, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm glad we won, but you know, you, you really can't add. I want to turn a quick corner um, mm -hmm. and talk about um, the uh, the other organization, the National Federation of the Blind, yeah. and talk about how, how you are working together. How we, as an organization, your, your their leadership and our leadership are working together. What are some of the common issues you're working on, and what do you anticipate again in the future between the two organizations? Yeah, and I, you know, this is something. This con the conversation with Mark Riccobono and our ACB president kind of started with Kim Charlson and Mark uh, back. Oh, oh gosh, probably six or seven years ago. And uh, you know, when I became president, Kim, you know, had a meeting to introduce uh, me to Mark and. We decided at that point in time, we would kind of set up a formal structure where every quarter, uh, you know, every 90 days or so, except for the, the time around the convention when, when we're all crazy, uh, that we would get together with our, our key staff members and we would talk, you know, just over the advocacy issues of the day, the different things that were going on. We talked a lot, you know, during the pandemic or what you're going to do to support your members through the convention. And we've continued to have hold these meetings now for four years. Uh, Mark even participated in a fireside chat there in 2021, which I thought was really a, a really nice step forward for, for our two organizations. And I believe it's really borne fruit, you know, across not only the Nash at the national level, but also at the state affiliate level. I see much more collaboration going on now between ACB and NFB state affiliates to work on rehab vendor issues, to work on all kinds of accessibility issues. So, um, 
you know, e, uh, well, and, and, and Mark has already and Deb have already reached out to each other and had a conversation are going to and are going to continue those quarterly meetings. Uh, so for the last four years, uh, Eric uh, Bridges and Clark Rockfull and myself have met with Mark Riccobono, uh, with John Pere and with Anil Lewis uh, from NFB and talked about multitude of issues. We have now two of our uh, four legislative imperatives we did jointly between NFB, ACB, and AFB this year, uh, the Software and Digital Website uh, and Application Accessibility Act uh, legislation, as well as the um, Medical Device uh, Accessibility Act, and so for Medicare and Medicaid products. And so I think it's been really good to see us both kind of advocate for those together. There's a lot of power when you go to Capitol Hill and all the blindness organizations are in sync. Uh, we also have a really good relationship with blinded veterans, uh, um, with Don Overton, who's their executive director. And so I think we're, we're not in a perfect place, but we're in a better place. We're not going to agree on everything. But no one I, ever does. No, but I do think when we can speak with one voice as the blind community, it really does. It, it's very impactful. It does, Dan, because mm -hmm. we are all blind. And I would think it is safe to assume that at least most of us need and want the same things out of life. I so agree. all yeah. organizations of and for the blind should try to work together in close harmony because we all want the same things. I, I agree with you, Bob. And we've kind of seen that even – the, the other two imperatives that NFB had this year, we, 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 we supported them as well, and NFB supported our other two imperatives. So, and what we're learning, if you can kind of divide and conquer, everybody doesn't have to spend all their resources on the exact same thing. You can kind of have one organization concentrate on one area of advocacy and another organization concentrate on a different level of advocacy, but you're helping everybody at the same time. So a, a couple of reactions to that, Dan. Mm -hmm. I used to be on at the one of the NFB discussion lists, and mm -hmm. uh, what really struck me is every year they'd have uh, electrical uh, electrical electoral priorities, and mm -hmm. we would have ours. And three out of four were always the same. It was one of the most amazing things that, that <laughs> I saw. And, and and yet people were into people were like, we disagree with each other. We don't like each other. And, and yet they had you know a lot of the initiatives were essentially the same. Yeah, I, I'm really glad that you're 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 uh, you're you're trying to work work things out because it, it's I just find it wildly destructive, uh, you know, to work at cross purposes or you know when we do agree on stuff, let's work together. Yeah, yeah, and so, and, and we're not going to be you know right. we're, we're not going to agree on everything, but but you know even if you look at well Congress when it's when it's functioning well. Even though you have Republicans and Democrats, there is a lot of let's legislation that passes with almost a unanimous consent, mm -hmm. you know? So there's the, there's the ability for, for us to work together on so many things. Yeah. And I think, I think your point about the state is also, I think even more relevant because I, I think to your point that, that Congress is not wildly dysfunctional, right? Not wildly functional these days. Mm. And I think a lot of the progress is going to be, it's going to be done through state uh, stuff. And, um, Working with other organizations to get stuff done, whether it's businesses or nonprofits or whatever, because I'm just I'm not as confident that we can get a lot of stuff done with the federal government 
these days. Yeah, you see a lot of work that's happening with accessible pedestrian signals at right. the state level and, and accessible voting for mail-in balloting. And, and uh, it's happening jointly between mm -hmm. the two organizations. Yeah. I think that's and, terrific. And, and I what, want to touch on go, the... Go ahead, Bob. Uh, oh, thank you, Peter. I just wanted to touch on the accessible website act that you referred to. I've mm -hmm. had discussions with many blind people about website accessibility. And right. I can speak for myself when I tell you how frustrating it is for <laughs> me to mm -hmm. navigate on the internet. Everybody wants you to go yeah. on the internet. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't go on as much as I should because I run into all of these problems. Uh, well, I need five shows to describe all the things that I go through on the internet. And I'm glad that you're working on some sort of an act to help control that kind of situation? Yeah, and, and it's a multi-prong attack, right? We've been working with Senator Tammy Duckworth's office to reintroduce le this legislation that was introduced in, in the last session of Congress. And I, Clark and I talk about this all the time. I, I really believe the the issue, again, again for the our issue it, inside of our organization is growth and membership re retention. It at the uh, at the advocacy level, I believe the, the the issue of the 21st century is accessibility. Mm -hmm. You know, we kind of conquered a lot around mobility and the physical space through the ADA, and actually, you know, kind of equaling the playing field in many cases for for folks with disabilities. But there's still a huge digital divide, and it um, it's it's leaving us behind. Uh, it just just the way the world is going. I mean, we flew United the other day for, uh, you know, we were at the terminal and, and they were making the announcements. If you would like to buy anything while you're on the plane, a drink, a sandwich, a food, you must download your United app. We do not take money and we do not take credit cards. So the only way you can procure items on the plane is through your United Airlines app. So that means it, for people to fly United and get any kind of services they want to pay for while they're in the cabin, they've got to have that app installed on their smartphone and they've got to be able to navigate it. Many people it, it, in this country don't even have a smartphone. So what do they do? Yes, exactly. So this is where the world is at. I mean, how many of us now, if we're having medical appointments, it's mm -hmm. all do, done through your MyChart app or your Epic system? You go to give, you know, get blood at, uh, you know, LabCorp or Quest. You know, they have touch touch screen kiosks that you have to sign in with that aren't accessible. I mean. It goes on and on and on. You want to get your new uh, Department of Motor Vehicles identification card. You've got to go on the website and make an appointment. My God, if you wanted to get a vaccine during the crunch time of the pandemic, you had to go on a website and and sign up for an appointment to get it. And you had to do it fast before it filled up, right? And I remember. So over and over again, we get left behind, whether it be in education, in medical care, uh, and the ability to just participate in day-to-day -day commerce. And so employment, Dan, employment, Dan. Employment. Yes, yes, Peter, and employment. <laughs> and and so it, it truly is, uh, I think the the accessibility, digital accessibility is the challenge of the 21st century. We've got to, we've got to really advocate to have it be on an equal playing field. And, and you're seeing that, you know, the Department of Justice uh just um 
promulgated their notice of public rulemaking uh, with Title II to now look at, you know, making fully uh, websites fully accessible with a standard for uh, state uh, state government entities. And so, uh, you know, we'll be reporting and, and commenting and getting feedback from everybody on that. But this is, you know, going down the path. Is it regulation? Is it legislation? Uh, is it just, you know, changing public opinion? But we've got to get there uh, where where we have equal access to the digital uh, environment. And any signs of of slight progress? What do you what are you seeing in the way of slight? I don't expect perfection, but what do you see? Yeah. Slight improvements. Well, I think again, it's like any where we've got to get to is that it's not, you know having a, a lawsuit and a structured negotiation with every website in the world to right. make it accessible, right? It's got to be much more systemic and regulatory uh, and, and legislative than that, that, that it is the law of the land. Um, I do think we're seeing, you know, in many cases, there's laws out there that just have not been enforced. Um, you know, we've had really good breakthroughs with the National Institutes of Health and I didn't know until we got involved into all this with accessible uh, COVID testing, you know, in-home coast, uh, uh, in-home COVID testing kits, that NIH actually has 27 different institutes, and one of them is the National Institute of Biomedical Imaging and Bioengineering, NIBIB. And they had the responsibility during the pandemic through their RADx team to develop all of the in-home COVID test kits. And they went from needing almost none of these to needing billions a month of these things to be produced, right? And so through that whole process of the RADx team, they they learned how to streamline development, work with the Federal Drug Administration, you know, how do you get something from a clinical trial approved approved by the FDA and into public uh, public domain, right? And so they learned a lot by that. And we met with them uh, through our advocacy to say, yes, this is great. But if you're blind, you can't take a, an, a, a home test kit, you know, an accessible home test kit for COVID. And not only that, you can't do it for any other types of home test kits. And, and those are exploding. That's becoming a more prevalent way uh, for laboratories and doctors to get results on multitudes of different things. Is There's, to a, do company in There's uh, a company in Kansas who tried uh -huh. to sell us on the idea that they had accessible home test kits. And I fell for yeah. it. I bought a few uh, and, I was, and I was burned. Yeah. They're not yeah. accessible. So where, where this has gone, uh, so we started out with conversations, uh, I'll never forget uh, Jill uh, Heapskirt, who is the deputy director of NIBIB. We were on the very first call and I said, Dr. Heapskirt, how, you know, she said, I've, I've blindfolded myself and tried to take these tests. And she said, I said, how did it go? And she said, absolutely miserable. There was no way I could take these tests blindfolded. And so she got it. Her team got it. The Radex team got it. And now 
working with them, we're not there yet because it all takes it all takes time, right? Yeah. But they've come out with a loom and some of these short-term fixes. But here's the exciting part, Bob and Peter. They've gone back and gotten funding through the Biden administration and through through legislation. And they have $350 million for this Radex team for their level two and level three work. And their level two work is to work on an intermediate set of solutions for home test kits that are as accessible as they can get them. But the big funding of $300 million is to go out of the box and come up with, you know, truly 100% accessible for the blind, for seniors, for folks with dexterity, fine motor skill impairments to be able to independently take these home tests. And they have now worked with the U.S. Access Board and they've created a 188-page document of how you uh, move forward with research and development and to make something totally accessible from the packaging to the instructions to the labeling of the components. It's amazing that they've done all this work and they've got it now that that's part of 508 regulations that the federal government is already re required to do is to make their products accessible. And so if we can take these kind of successes and promulgate them throughout the federal government, I think there's a chance. And uh, I but, do want to, yeah. um, I mm -hmm. do want at this time to bring other people onto sure. this uh, call. So what I'm going to say now is that you are listening to In Perspective. I'm Bob Branco and my co-host is Peter Alchel. We have with us Dan Spoon, the interim executive director of the American Council of the Blind. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to ask Mike, if we have any hands raised, Mike? We do, and our first one is Sharon. Sharon, welcome. Hello, hi. Hello. This hi, is, Sharon. Uh, hi, Sharon in Massachusetts. And oh, I, okay. Hi, hi, how are you? Hi, Dan. I'm good. I wanted, I wanted to agree with you about uh, a little more cooperation with NFB. Mm -hmm. um, this is something that's happening here now with regard to the uniform ballot. Um, yes. And we're um, hoping that we're going to be having a hearing on September 19th with the Election Law Committee. And um, Democracy Live has met with ACB and NFB, and our advocacy team went to both meetings so that we would all be on the same page. And so this is really, really, really cool, I think. <laughs> I agree with you, Sharon. Great work. That's good. Yes. We'll keep yeah. our fingers crossed for you guys. Yeah. I know. The other thing I wanted to say that is, uh, with regard to membership is that when I was a vocational rehab counselor, I would see people at the beginning of their um, blindness journey. Mm -hmm. And what really struck me was how many people led very isolated lives as sighted people. You know, they they had their family and their work. Mm -hmm. A lot of them didn't have church, civic organizations, whatever. They were very much insulated. And I would always carefully tell them about ACB and NFB because I had to do both as a PR counselor. Sure. Uh, you know, but um, what I realized is that as somebody who's been blind my whole life and for people that have been blind for a while or low vision, 
you learn that you need to depend on each other. And I think a lot of people don't have that in their experience as people with sight. Um, yeah, they, they don't. And then when they start to lose their vision, right, the natural reaction is you're working so hard. How can I restore my sight? You know, there, there's got to be okay. a medical cure for this, right? Of course. So there, there's right. a whole journey you go through and, and you need, you need rehab support, but you need, you, you need, you need mental support through all of this. It's, oh. it's a huge traumatic change in your life, right? And so right. I think uh, our members uh, inside of ACB can be a huge resource to folks I, that are going through. These I agree. Yeah. And, and I kind of think that if there's somehow uh, a better relationship with the rehab counselors in, in state affiliates, both social rehab and vocational rehab, where people are entering the system, you know, that that might help. Some of it just has to happen because of adjustment. You know, it just takes time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the minute somebody can't drive, oh boy, you know, it, yeah. it ramps up. And that's when they really realize that, that they are in need. So I'm hoping that that's something that we can think about in our membership um, thing. You know? Well, it's it sharing where I'm at there too. So think about it, especially if you're part of the elderly blind program, right? And you go through, yeah. you're over 55 and you, you go in and you have this intense, I don't know, seven or 14 week class. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, you're meeting all these peers and you're getting to have all this conversation and you're kind of enjoying and going to the, to the classes and then all of a sudden that program ends and now yeah. you're back home in isolation. And I really think there's an opportunity for us to welcome those folks in through our ACB community event platform. I just believe there's so much there that people could take advantage of that would help, you know, engage oh, them I, and I get totally them involved agree. back no. with the, inside the community. Yeah. Right. So how do we make that connection? Because you're right. One of those stumbling blocks is rehab agencies like, oh, well, I don't want to support ACB over NFB. So my answer is just to not say anything to anybody. Right. And we've got to kind of be able to break down that wall. Right. And and now that I've retired from that, I can speak freely. And I do. <laughs> I, talk to, <laughs> I, I talk to the rehab counselors that I do know and say, yes. oh, have, you know, have somebody get in on this call or that call, you know. Uh, like an, one of the ones lately is the blind shell. A lot of people mm -hmm. are expressing interest in that, whether they're ACB members or not. They right. still want Sharon's some kind of smartphone, but maybe not the iPhone. And yep. so I've said, okay, we have we have a call, you know. And couldn't that be a resource that people, wherever you are in the country, you could you could learn from those calls. Right, yeah. right, yeah. that's right. So All maybe right. a thought would be to say like suggest to rehab counselors get on the community call list mm -hmm. so that you know so that you can share it with people oh i like right. that idea i agree <laughs> well, let's work on it. it yes okay thank, <laughs> thank you so sharon. much thank you thank sharon you. have a great day thank you sharon. okay mike all right our next hand belongs to jane on the telephone jane on the Hello. telephone good evening shane perry your cape cod connection hi oh, sharon what? And I'm Ma from Massachusetts, Massachusetts so, is representing today I'm here. Gonna, something for you that you do for everybody, and that's hip hip hooray! <laughs> Thank you. You are great, and I'm so glad you're on this call. And I love my community calls. This is my third one today. Uh, but I also want to say to you, 
Thank you, thank you, thank you for making my dream come true at convention. And I didn't get the chance to say what you said on Thursday with the gentleman from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. And I'm so glad that we have been connecting, that you connected with them, and I hope we continue because people don't understand that they have a lot of work that they've been doing with research and genetics and genetic counseling and, and, and NIH. And I am so thrilled beyond belief because I was very involved with them before I got involved with ACV. Matter of fact, that's my original journey, 1988, when I was diagnosed. I have RP and I have Bardi Beetle syndrome. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I've learned to laugh and enjoy life and my vision impairment has become a gift, even though I've had some spots doubles along the way. So there was a call last Thursday on FFB Insights, and I thanked them, and I couldn't believe they got my call. So thank you. But my question to you is, I hope you come back, Mm -hmm. is what was your biggest challenge? I have two questions. What was your biggest challenge that you faced going from ACB president to ACB interim director? And also, can you touch a little bit on the accessible currency thing that you all have been working on? Thank you for taking my call. And sure. Zoom awesome. I love my community. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you, Jane. Um, well, I would say the first trend, the transition, this is kind of just humorous, but at the first board meeting, it was hard for me to keep my mouth shut because I was so used to running the meetings and also, you know, being able to engage in conversation. And when you're the executive director, you have to wait for the president to kind of recognize you for your report. So it was hard to not want to raise your hand and get involved in the conversation right off the bat. So um, that was a little bit of a challenge for me, but it was, uh, it's different, you know, um, when you're, um, you know, representing the staff, you, you, you know, these are folks that are working full time every day, but a lot of our members kind of do the same thing. I'm not discounting them, but you're really, you know, you're running an, uh, a set of uh, paid employees and you have to kind of you know, follow all the rules and responsibilities and make sure that your staff uh, is, is, um, is working collaboratively and getting, uh, getting work done and, and staying on task at the same time, you want them to reach out and really represent the organization, and they do such such a fantastic job. So, it was uh, it was kind of interesting moving from president to interim executive director, and now being responsible for employees that were working day to day with their with their responsibilities. Um, and Deb and I work very very collaboratively. So through the transition, we really our goal was to make sure that none of the work dropped and we got everything done, getting ready for the convention and making sure it could stay as seamless as possible because there was a lot to do uh, in Eric Bridges' absence. Uh, so it's been it's been a joy to to be the interim executive director as well as it was to be the ACB president. Related to the Bureau of Engraving and Printing and Accessible Currency. Gosh, we had a wonderful show me the money rally. It made a huge difference. It it, it got us engaged very quickly with the the C suite of the Bureau of Engraving and Printing. Um, you know, Director Leonard Oliard, his entire staff, his deputy directors, his chief counsel, his communications director. Uh, we had the meeting in March. Uh, at that point in time, he committed to meet with us on a quarterly basis. 
uh, he stayed true to that word, and we met with him uh, second week in June to get an update on the progress with the um, $10 bill, which is going to be fully accessible with a raised tactile feature, raised print, uh, you know, embossed print and contrast. And uh, it's scheduled to go live the fourth quarter of 2026. Uh, we got an identification of the major milestones that have to take place. Uh, they're finishing up the final testing phase for all the counterfeit requirements. That's the big part of this money. And so the huge progress that has been made is uh, Janet Yellen, the Secretary of the Treasury, has signed off on the counterfeit protofo- protocols for this entire family of redesigned currencies, the 10, then the 50, then the 20, then the 5, uh, from 26 to 32. They're finishing the counterfeit uh, uh, requirements testing. Then they'll go through uh, what they call a technical inspection and quality test, and then a mass batch run test to test the you know full-scale functionality of all the new equipment and that'll take us to about two week two two years before go live and then the banking equipment manufacturing industry the BEMs they they have to make their equipment accessible with the new counterfeit protocols and algorithms and the raised tactile features for the 10 across all of their equipment, whether it be ATMs, high-speed money sorters and counters and vending machines and checkout machines and all of that work. So that'll take about another 18 months. Then they'll do the big final batch run. There'll be a year of communications that'll be done by the Federal Reserve. And then we're keeping our fingers crossed by you know the Fourth quarter of 2026 that the Federal Reserve will release the new $10 bill with a race tactile feature into circulation. So thank we're feeling good. Much. Yeah. By the thank way, you, Jerry, thank you for the uh, Jerry. Dan, thank you for the Jerry Maguire reference before. Yes. No yeah. problem. <laughs> uh, we have about four or five minutes left in the program, believe it or not. So I want to move right along here. Mike, are there any other hands raised? We have um, three hands. Um, how many of them do you want to take? Yeah. As many as we can, so as we can take. Let's let's I'll try to go real fast. Okay, yeah. we'll right. go to yeah. Doc. Doc. Hey, Doc. Oh yes. Okay. Am I unmuted now? Yes. Yep. Yes. Yes, you are. Okay. Well, just a couple of three things. Uh, first of all, I'm just very, very impressed with the ACB operation in the community, et cetera, et cetera. And one thing that I wanted to share with you is. Uh, last week on Introspective, when Tom Sullivan was with us, he said something that that caused me to think of something a little bit different. And I wanted to share it with you, and it's a it, it, it's a um, uh, oh come on brain work. Uh, Maybe you can. Oh, what's what's the what 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 is this uh, prayer called? I that's the word I'm I can't think that uh, uh, you know. Give me the strength to serenity change prayer. The thing. Serenity prayer. Serenity prayer. Serenity prayer. Okay, it was a play on that, and this is a serenity prayer for for the handicap. Lord, give me the strength to be independent when I can be independent in the serenity to accept help 
with joyful gratitude when I need help and the wisdom to tell one from the other. Perfect. I, I like and that. I, yeah. And, and I think, yeah, and, and I think that's what the association is helping us do, is to be independent. Uh, this last discourse on money is another attempt to be independent. For sure. And so I congratulate you on all of your efforts. Thank you, Doc. Good Thank to hear you, your voice. Doc. And we Thank have you, time Doc. for we have time for one more. We have less than a minute. So who is next, Mike? Area code five oh five. Five oh five, you're up. Probably yes, our last hello. Caller. This is New Mexico. This Beth. is New Mexico Beth, as they call me. <laughs> hello, Beth. I would like the I would like to see the ACB um, get involved in, okay, there's some women's issues, especially for elderly women, like they were talking about when you lose your sight and you can't drive no more right away if you're over 60 or over 50. Um, there's some doctors that think you should go into a nursing home. That's not right. Everybody wants to age in place. And then... Um, some some of these women that say go somewhere to meet a guy, you know, they're dating online and then they turn out to be abusive and they're, they've left their home and they're in another town. These people don't, these, some of these agencies don't know what to do with them and they, they would like to stick them in nursing homes because they don't have funding for, um, things like that beth beth yeah. we thank you for your thoughts we, we thank you and we're out of time by the way sorry okay, about thank that you. time doesn't thank, thank beth, you thanks beth. for your contribution and and, and we agree that we, we we do really need to you know help people age in place that that is always the goal to maintain like as much term. independent as possible yeah i like that terminology dan thank you so much for taking the time today out of your busy schedule to be with us on in perspective we would like to have you back very soon I know there are a lot more issues that we couldn't get to today because of our limited time. So please feel free to come back. We can talk offline about that. So we appreciate you being with us. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Peter. Have a great Labor Day weekend. And sure, invite me back and we'll 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 figure out a time for us to get back together. I appreciate I'll discuss your that with you, Dan. Thanks. And <laughs> next right. week, next week, we have with us once again, the blind history lady. She's coming back to our show. Peggy Chung. That should be fun. Peter, thank you very much. Mike and Brad and our participants go safe with God's abundant blessings. We'll talk next week on In Perspective. Take care, everybody.